0: welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Wood, and I'm joined today by Dr. Amy Tang. Dr. Amy Tang is an emergency medicine physician at Jewish uh, Memorial in Long Island, New York. Uh, She also uh, has an MPH, which she earned at UMass in Amherst. Uh, She completed an International international Emergency Medicine Fellowship uh, at uh, Northwell uh, Hospital System's and does a, a lot of work in the international um, and low-resource setting, which is going to be the topic of our conversation tonight. Um, and I'm, am I wrong when I th- I'm saying you know Tang is kind of the the beverage of astronauts, but there's no relation there. You your family didn't invent or isn't involved in the Tang industries.
1: Only the orange flavor. But the rest of the not, orange flavor,
0: great. Great. I think anyone who does expedition medicine, at least in the United States, I think is well familiar with Tang. So um, I just thought I'd throw that out there just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited to have you on as a guest today. Um, I'll reveal that we actually worked together as colleagues a, a number of years ago. Um, I think too many years, actually, maybe to mention. Yeah. Um, although I, I feel I'm still looking quite young, as you are as well. Uh, We work together in emergency medicine research, doing research on sepsis. Um, And then we uh, both have stayed in emergency medicine and have worked um, uh, both in academic medicine. uh, And I've worked in community hospital settings. Um, I know you've worked mostly in the academic setting, but have worked extensively in areas that are kind of um, low resourced and underserved. Um, So, you know, we both kind of have a background in EM We both have a background in working in these kind of austere environments, but clearly, you know, you uh, have really taken that to new levels and have done quite a bit of work um, both in Haiti and in India. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. So tell me a little bit about yourself and and then your experience, and then we'll kind of talk about, um, you know, how you've engaged uh, these, uh, you know, low resourced communities in emergency medicine.
1: Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, and global health has always been something I've been interested in. Um, it kind of is like one of those things that drives a lot of people to medical school. You want to help low resource communities, you want to help people around the world. Um, and, you know, pairing it with emergency medicine is kind of a non traditional path in global health. Um, usually, when we're talking about international medicine we're talking about public health systems we're talking about infectious disease tropical diseases um but emergency medicine is something that's kind of developing as a new field um in a lot of communities around the world and so it's kind of an exciting thing to um to kind of be involved with that, and kind of be involved with bringing emergency medicine um, systems, health systems, as well as education to some of these um, some of these communities.
0: Yeah, I think you know, even in the United States, um, emergency medicine is a younger you know field. Um, it's only you know been around I I think thirty, maybe forty years as uh, as wow. a practice. Even when yeah, more you know, when I started as a paramedic. Um, people that staff the emergency department could be an endocrinologist, could be OBGYN. I think the specialty of emergency medicine is really still pretty young, still developing, even here in the United States. Um, but it's, you know, yeah, but it's still, you know, um, fairly robust um, for the most part. Um, what has been your, so you've worked in a couple of different areas. You've worked in Haiti uh, and you've worked in India. Um, you can talk about either experience. So what's been your experience with, Whichever of those you want to talk about first, with you know what's their um, level of you know service in in emergency medicine, how how are they structured, and what has been your experience there?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, like you were saying, within the U.S. Um, EM is still pretty relatively a new field. Um, And so emergency departments or urgent care centers um, where people are seeking um, more immediate acute um, medical care is being staffed by physicians who are not trained in emergency medicine is a very commonplace Um, now in some of these um, other countries around the world, in these low and middle income countries. Uh, So, you know, where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago is kind of where a lot of these communities still rest now. Um, And the problem with that is a lot of these doctors who are trained in community medicine and primary care, they're not trained in emergency medicine and how to deal with acutely ill patients, um, how to resuscitate acutely ill patients. And that's kind of a, a niche that's very specific for the emergency physician. Um, and so training um, physicians, training students to um, deal with a lot of these emergency medical situations is has been super key to a lot of my work. Um, you know, both in Haiti and India, those are the two communities that I've had the most experience with. It's a very good example of two very differing um, stages in emergency medicine developments. Um, Haiti is very, very young. Um, you know, I work with a uh, hospital, um, HUM, Hospital Université Mirbale. Um, which is the University Hospital in Mirabelle. And they have the one and only emergency medicine residency in the country. Um, They have five to six residents per class. It's a three-year program. um, And the first year, the intern class started in, I believe it was 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, So, I mean, not even five, you know, less than a decade ago, they've only graduated three three classes. Um, so emergency medicine is very fresh there. Whereas mm. in India, I would say India is more a little further along, but there's still not um, emergency medicine still isn't a routine and widely accepted field. Um, and so emergency medicine education there is a little bit more piecemeal. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see how EM can and will develop in these countries and these communities over you know over time. Um, you know these these communities are basically where we were a few decades ago, and hopefully they will only see growth as you know, Emergency medicine continues to grow, and these physicians go out into the field and do their thing.
0: Sure, sure, and I think you know it's important, clearly, to have that structure of um, training emergency medicine physicians, uh, and you know doing that through a uh, you know residency program. Um, but I think, and and I'm not sure if you can or can't speak to this, uh, but the other challenge I think is then that support of nursing. Um, Nursing's obviously really integral to, you know, managing an emergency department. I'm sure, you know, you both, we both know um, as EM providers that you rely a great deal on your nurses for recognizing when patients are sick, as well as, you know, performing, um, you know, interventions like IV access and things of that nature. Uh, And as much as the, you know, it's Uh, you need a robust, you know, program of emergency medicine physicians. Nursing is also really integral to that. What's your experience been? And again, we can compare and contrast, you know, Haiti and India for kind of nursing support. Um, Do they use nurses like we do here in the U.S. that are, you know, specifically and specially trained in kind of the emergency setting or does it vary?
1: Um, No, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's one of the big Um, challenges that is posed to when we're building emergency medicine systems or communities in these communities is that it's not just about, you know, training emergency medicine physicians, but it's also about building that infrastructure that surrounds it, you know, make, you know, in terms of ambulances or having people come in and nursing staff and other ancillary staff having, you know, lab techs that are on available 24-7, having radiology texts that are available 24-7. For a lot of the services that emergency medicine needs to provide, there's a lot of resources that go into that. Um, with nursing in particular, I know that with a lot of the programs that I've worked with, um, education for nurses has all, also been, you know, part of it. Um, you know, because they we do recognize Like a lot of what we do is very much reliant on our ancillary staff as well. Um, Especially in these communities where physicians may be few and far between um, having um, a medic or a tech or a nurse, um, somebody who has some medical background but not necessarily a physician sometimes is a lot more available to patients. Um, so whether it be specific training programs for nursing, um, or even just hands-on experience with, um, with, we've had a lot of nurses who've come down and worked specifically with their nursing and ancillary staff. Um, I mean, just in general, uh, so... The WHO has recently put out this basic emergency care program that they're trying to roll out um, and it's essentially geared towards not emergency medicine trained physicians, but any healthcare provider that basically serves as a frontline provider to you know, patients who might be in emergency medical condition. So patients who have a fever, who um, are after some traumatic accidents, um, you know, the the basic bread and butter emergency resuscitation cases. um, You know, there are a lot of providers out there. There are a lot of communities out there that, you know, don't have access to a hospital or even a clinic nearby. It might just be, you know, a nurse who, you know, lives down the street or, you know, a small physician within, you know, how many miles, how many, in cities nearby. So having, you know, somebody there who's first line and frontline who's trained in basic emergency management, how to resuscitate a patient, how to recognize sick patients and knowing when to transfer patients out and what patients need, Um, you know, simple things like that are a huge key to bringing emergency medicine into these communities. It's not just about emergency medicine training physicians but um training ancillary staff training primary care providers training nurses training um other practitioners emts techs people like that um who also have a huge hand in emergency care around the world
0: no i i think that brings up a really good point and something that you know we don't think about much here in the us because we have so many designated professionals but that's, this is the point that I think you bring up is just the importance of community health workers. Um, And those don't have to be certified people. These are just people that have worked in the community, they're trusted, um, and they can be, you know, trained to understand some basic principles of emergency care. Um, That might be even more important than, you know, a small residency program in a country like Haiti, where they're putting out five providers a year, you know, that's just not going to be sufficient um, to, you know, to manage a country that does have, you know, high rates of morbidity and mortality and lots of trauma. Um, I think, you know, the community provider can actually be really integral to that, you know, ATLS or advanced trauma life support, which we have here in the U S kind of follows a similar model where they're training, you know, really emergency medicine providers that are in community hospitals um to manage trauma in that quote unquote golden hour i think you know what you're describing the world health organization trying to integrate you know these community health providers or allowing you know people that have you know some at least medical background to have some basics in emergency medicine that's really integral to how you might need to integrate a system in kind of an under-resourced country like Haiti India or many many others Yeah, I I think one thing
1: we also take take for granted here is just, especially when we're living in metropolitan cities in the U.S., you know how easily accessible like a hospital is, um, a clinic, a medical center, um, some sort of medical facility. You know, like there's probably dozens within ten miles of me here in New York City, Um, but there are a lot of communities out there around the world that, you know, not only are these health centers far away, but they're not easily accessible. You know, there's no paved roads, there's no cars, you know, you're hiking, you're, you know, motorbiking, you have no transportation, there's no, um, system in terms of transportation to get you to a lot of these places and a lot of these places are very isolated because of that um so you know just going to a hospital for any quote-unquote emergency you might have or medical issue you might have is you know not very feasible um logistically and so you know community health workers are a huge part of, uh, of what we do and, you know, what needs to be done as we, you know, move forward with, uh, with bringing emergency medicine and, and prioritizing emergency care around the world.
0: Oh, sure. Of course. Of course. So let's talk a little bit then specifically about some of the work that you've done. So, um, what are some of the projects that you've been able to, um, to bring to these, you know, countries, and then we can talk a little bit about you know how these projects came to be, and maybe discuss a little bit of the challenges. So let's start with you know what are some of the projects that you think have you've been able to successfully implement in these kind of settings?
1: Yeah. So um, you know my particular interest is emergency medicine development, and we do focus a lot on residency programs and teaching. Um, so you know, generally we are teaching residents, we are teaching physicians, um, and a lot of it's teaching from the ground up. So it's not just learning emergency medicine in terms of like the medical knowledge and the procedural knowledge, but it's also about medical education in terms of, um, you know, how did they become teachers in themselves? How do they, because they're going to be tasked with, um, further spreading emergency medicine in these countries. Uh, in Haiti, for example, you know these, you know these few residents who graduate, they're going to go out into the community, and it's going to be on them to bring more people into the emergency medicine field. Um, you know, it's something that we say a lot in global health, but you know, our job is basically to make ourselves obsolete. You know, we come into these places, we want to you know, bring emergency medicine. We want to teach them, but eventually we want to be able to step out of the picture and leave it up to the locals and people who are from that community to take over and to take, you know, take on the rest of the work. Um, so I've focused a lot of, you know, on creating basically like very basic emergency of just medical education training programs. So very simple things like, you know, for these residents they we do a two-day course in how do you teach? How do you teach another medical professional? How do you teach a nurse? How do you teach a medical student? How do you teach another resident? Um, You know, how do you teach adults, which is a different um, beast in of itself? Um, So there's a lot of specifics there, but the idea being not just that we're teaching emergency medicine, but we're teaching these people how to um, how to continue the chain, right? How to continue to teach others and then further propagates the knowledge that they've learned.
0: That's great. And I, I mean, I, I think honestly, that's something even in our U S system um, we don't necessarily do very well, um, which is, you know, teaching residents to then be able to teach future you know, residents. Um, they're just struggling to get through that residency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably later on in their career that they learn, you know, good methodology for passing on their, you know, the information they've learned, how to share that information, um, how to, um, you know, share that information, not with just, you know, um, physicians, but with respiratory therapists, with nurses, Uh, and that's not an easy task that can be, you know, kind of difficult to do. And especially you mentioned, you know, doing that with adult learners can be even more difficult, especially people who just have this rote way. Um, but I think that's, you know, a fantastic, um, concept and I'm, I'm delighted to hear that that's the, you know, the kind of, you know, um, ideology that you're bringing to these programs, because it's just so important that you're right. We pass that baton. So that, you know, you become an obsolete program and that they then carry that forward and become you know, the educators bringing emergency medicine to these, to these environments.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, in India is like, you know, like I said, India is a little bit further along in terms of how long emergency medicine has been a field mm-hmm. in a field in India. Um, the program that we work with, you know, we've been running for, s- Several years, almost a decade, I want to say, way before I even started there. Um, but you know, there's local faculty there who've you know gone through the program, who stayed on, and who are now you know teaching the you know in charge of the residency program, and who are teaching there and who've moved on to other hospitals. Um, so you know, our footprint there slowly becomes less and less, you know, local faculty has taken over a lot of the education, a lot of the, the teaching to the residents and and to the like the staff there and to the community there. Um, you know, and so it's, it's a slow process but it's nice to see the step-by-step um, movements Of you know how a program grows, it's slow, but it's definitely important um, that you have buy-in from you know your local community.
0: Absolutely, I think it's all, um, and I'm hoping you include um, how to complain about other specialties as well. It's
1: a natural. Yeah, that should be at the top of
0: your list. You know, I I spent. I, you know, a number of years as a paramedic and then the last 12 years in emergency medicine. I'm now working in the intensive care unit, um, mainly um, uh, driven by COVID, but now I've definitely found that I just really love the ICU. But it's funny, I did at some point make that transition um, to now I complain about emergency medicine
1: yeah. on a regular basis. Like, why are basis, you concentrating price? on this?
0: Right. Why are you consulting us for this? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they order this lab? Yeah. Um, it's really, it's been a, it's a wonderful experience to be able to do that. Um, have you had any challenges? Have there been any, you know, programs that you've tried to institute that you felt just didn't go well that, but, but you were able to learn from anything that kind of fell on its face where you're, you had a really great idea, you tried to implement it and it just didn't work.
1: Yeah. I mean, all the time. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. It- the one thing you learn when you start working in global health is nothing goes as you plan. Um, and I think one of the difficulties is, you know, we're not on the ground. Um, and it just goes to show how important it is to get buy-in from lo- the local community or somebody local there who's going to be able to help you with the program. Um, yeah. You know, in India, in, uh, you know, for example, I've, like, tried to run various research programs there, start research studies or work with some residents on that. But it's hard when you're doing it with, you know, a 12 hour time difference and over internet, over, you know, WhatsApp, over email. Um, It's hard doing things from afar. Um, You know, a lot of programs will say, you know, like being there in person is going to be a big a help and it's a good way to get things actually started. Um, but unfortunately, you know, like sometimes the, the distance is too much. Sometimes it's just not feasible to be there full time, um, or even a large amount of the time. And especially now in times of COVID when we're not traveling at all, um, you know, that's, it becomes a very difficult thing, um, planning and, implementing a lot of, a lot of programs, a lot of whether it be research studies or teaching programs or lectures, just like simple things like that becomes a lot more difficult.
0: Oh, Um, sure. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Sure. And I think that brings, that's another really great point too. You mentioned that you really have to bring in those community leaders to buy into these types of programs. And I think, you know, that's probably an area that I've, I've seen where you know organizations try to go in to a location um they don't get the buy-in from these community leaders that's destined to fail um that buy-in is incredibly important and um i think that's a really good point you know to for our listeners that are you know engaging in these types of programs you know getting buy-in from those local leaders is really integral and then you know it is important to have boots on the ground um, in many cases, but you also have to be adaptable. And, and especially now with COVID. Um, and I, I think a lot of places now are going to limit travel, regardless, they're going to realize these things can be done, you know, um, through via Zoom and other, you know, um, outlets that might kind of change um, that. where Yeah, what's your thought on that? You know, where, you know, how important is being boots on the ground versus offering something, you know, through Zoom or other kind of programs like that.
1: Um, it, it's yeah. I mean, the field of global health is going to change a lot because of COVID. Um, just naturally, with the limitations on travel, I think it really depends on where you are with the project. Um, if you're starting a project from you know day zero, um, being there in person it cannot be replicated. Um, being there, you have to be there to make the connections to, to build that, you know, find that buy-in and build it with the community. Um, that's so important. Um, I can't tell you how many uh, global health type programs or people who are very well-intentioned, but, you know, they have very unsustainable projects in mind because they don't think of involving local community and local mm-hmm local people um, without that local buy-in you're basically your program's unsustainable your program's not going to have the impact that you want it to have um so especially in those initial in the initial uh period where you're bringing this program in and starting it being there in person is going to be a huge um a huge help Um, You know, and it's slowly as things build, you can step away and you can do more things remotely. Um, Obviously, that's going to change a lot now with, you know, travel restrictions with COVID and everything. But um, I mean, I think it's still very important. Um, I know in India now we're still... We're still doing we're doing Zoom classes um to the residents. So once a week, um a US faculty member will log on to Zoom and teach to, you know, the local um residents in India. But you know, there's always challenges to that. It's a 12-hour difference, um, you know, getting engagement over a camera and the internet is not the same as when you're in person, um, getting, you know, everyone to log in at the same time, finding a time that's suitable for everyone. You know, there's a lot more techno- technology and um, other logistics that come into play. So it's going to change a lot of what we do. It's it's still feasible though. It's just um, rea reworking, reimagining what we do and how we're going to do it, how we're going to
0: teach. Right, right. No, that's great. You know, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you about um, was, you know, I think especially, you you know, U.S.-based programs, we go in thinking that we're going to do all the teaching. Um, And and in other projects I've been involved in, in Haiti and Iceland, um, you know, we've kind of gone in with that mindset and then realized that, these programs have a lot to teach us as well, um, and that even though you know we come from these academic centers, there's a lot we can learn from these, you know um, other organizations. They've been able to, you know take what limited resources they have and do some amazing things. Um, do you have any exa- like stories or examples of where that's you know been the case in Haiti and in India? Where you've just learned something that really kind of changed your practice, changed your mindset on your approach to emergency medicine?
1: Yeah, so much. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of these people, these communities are so used to um, working around constraints and resource limitations that they're so much better at, at it than we are. Um, you know, I remember when I first went to Haiti and, you know, saw the nurses priming pumps and they don't have IV pumps, right? So they're counting droplets and, you know, titrating by drops, Um, things that, you know, you you don't even think about, um, you know, creating sea collars using, you know, cardboard and, you know, rolled up towels and blankets, um, you know, they're able to improvise with what little resources they have. Um, you know, treatments a lot different there when you don't have access to a CT scanner, when you don't have access to an X-ray, maybe routinely or labs that are going to come back in a timely manner. Um, you know, your practice medically changes a lot. Um, you know, I, I, One of the things that I think when I first like um, worked globally was just the management of DKA. So like a diabetic coma, diabetic emergency, Um, you know, here in the US we have IV insulin, we have all these treatments, we have these labs, we calculate blood gases and ion, anion gaps and all these different things. And these are not readily available in some of these communities. So, you know, we do a quick finger stick to see what their blood sugar is, see if they have sugar in their urine and do an EKG. Does it look like their potassium's high? We start insulin up. Sub- you know, like everything's a little bit different. Um, right. And, you know, coming up with those and like thinking Thinking it through to that extra step um, without having the normal resources and the normal data that you would have, um, that I'm used to having, that we all are, right. Um, right. is very different. So it's it's definitely a learning experience to work in these communities and to work with these limited resources and kind of like try to MacGyver it and figure out how to work around these constraints because it's possible. These guys do it every day and they do it successfully um, right. and it makes you realize how, how reliant we've become on technology on, you know, these very fancy machines and lab tests and consultants. And sometimes, you know, you just gotta do what you have to do. And you don't need that to be a doctor. You don't need these fancy things. Um, right? You can still help people. You can still save lives with, with smaller resources, you just have to be a little bit more ingenious about it and a lot more flexible.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a disciple of, um, Jerry Hoffman. I I don't know if you're familiar with Jerry Hoffman, who is a, a, a very outspoken emergency medicine, um, you know, physician who, you know, really talks about, you know, so many of the things we do are unnecessary and could be, you know, obtained through good history, good physical exam. And I I think that, you know, my experience in Haiti and in other kind of austere environments has really kind of made me kind of rethink, um, you know, my own practice and to try to be more cognizant about ordering fewer labs, you know, um, imaging is a little bit more difficult to get away with, but, um, you know, trying to to limit it to things that are going to maybe um, you know, make a difference, uh, and you know, reduce the amount of kind of uh, extraneous things that we do in in emergency medicine, and and in the ICU that's carried over into that setting as well. And I think, you know, you spoke really eloquently about that, which is that you know you you know when you leave your uh, you know your remote um, setting and you're back in your ER in New York, right? You have all these resources again. And you can just go back to just, you know, ordering labs and ticking off boxes. But I think it really does give you this sense that, wow, I really want to be a thoughtful clinician and kind of, you know, listen to that history, listen to, you know, do a really thorough exam, think about what's necessary, what isn't, and then what my downstream resources are going to be. So I think, um, you know, I felt that it's changed my practice, seems like it's done the same for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, like regard. you said,
1: I mean, a lot of what we do goes back to our history and physical, like very basic, simple things. You don't need anything fancy for it. And sometimes we rely more on these technologies, on these imaging, on these tests, and we let the history and physical fall by the wayside. Um, yeah and it feels very wasteful especially when you come back from these communities and from these very resource low resource settings and you're you know you go back i go back into my er and everyone's getting a cat scan and everyone's getting an MRI. you know like things that you're like is this really necessary like we're wasting so much um compared to these communities that are making do with so little um the disparity is very shocking and so it's it's humbling. It's it's very humbling to see the difference and to kind of take that into your personal practice.
0: Yeah, and 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 supplies as well. I mean, we're so incredibly wasteful with opening up kits and throwing away you know three quarters of yeah. it. And then you think about just the limits that they have for accessing suture material or yeah. you know scissors and those kind of things. It really really changed your practice. Um, we're gonna wind up here in a few minutes, so. Um, I want to just ask you if you had a couple of um, so I'll ask two different questions. And the first would be if you're in emergency medicine or you're thinking about going into emergency medicine and you want to get involved in kind of doing, you know, kind of the things that you're doing um, at the, you know, the public health efforts um, or bringing emergency medicine to these austere environments or these low resource environments what are some things that you would recommend for, you know, people with this interest and how they could pursue that kind of, you know, um, experience?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I tell residents and students all the time, if you're interested in global health, you kind of have to do it, go ask people who are involved in it, ask how you can get involved. Um, And when you're, there's a lot of global health programs out there. There are a lot of global health missions um, and and people doing a lot of things in the global health world. Um, I also would caution people to be very discriminate when you're looking for programs to to help out or to apply yourself to, because um, there's a very clear difference between medical tourism um where you're going to do a mission but like you know you're learning spanish while you're working in this clinic in the rainforest you know like there's things that aren't medically necessary or helpful to the community um and it's more just for your experience versus things that actually make an imprint have um have a good imprint to the local community. Really work with local um, people and um, provide needed medical um, medical resources. Um, so it's it's one of those things. It's like you have to do it to really know if you like it. Um, you know, for me, for example, when I was a resident, I knew I had this interest in global health, but I like sought out programs that where I could go and work in these communities and work with people in order to just experience it to see if it's um it was something that I liked and really wanted to pursue so you know having that experience um when you're a student when you're a resident when you're training is going to be very helpful um for that
0: uh, that's great advice. And I think, you know, for our listeners that are interested in that kind of work, I think that's important take home message. Um, and then I want to, you know, uh, we'll finish up with, um, do you have one story of your favorite experience for, you know, your, um, your work, uh, something that really kind of opened your eyes or brought you some, you know, some joy. I, I think I'm supposed to lead with that. Cause I learned that <laughs> dopamine, um, when you think about a good experience, it releases dopamine into your brain and then actually that enhances learning. Um, but we're at the end. So I guess maybe they'll yeah. just have to rewind this and re-listen, but what was one experience that brought you like some joy or brought you that you felt was just a, a world changing kind of experience for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would have to go back to my first, like real global health emergency medicine experience. Um, that in, so as a second year resident, um, I took a two week vacation. It was my two week vacation and I had found a program in Haiti that, um, took medical volunteers. So I went as a group for a week with, you know, a bunch of nurses, doctors, RTs, um, medics um, people from all sorts of different medical backgrounds to um to a hospital in in Port-au-Prince in Haiti and we just worked there with the local um the local doctors local nurses and I just remember you know experiencing how to treat these patients without having the resources that I was used to, um, to having patients come in and, you know, not readily having a CAT scan, not readily having a ventilator or not, you know, like and making those sometimes really difficult choices. Um, but I just remember being thrilled by it just because you feel like you're making a difference because these are people who really don't have anything any other options or many other options at all. Um, And, you know, it's very common in these settings in these very low resource settings that people aren't seeking out medical care unless it's extremely necessary. And so to be involved with those patients, um, it's very fulfilling and it kind of just like really, really sparked my passion for global health. And, you know, after that week, I knew, like, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew this was the environment and the people that I wanted to work with. So it's, it really stuck with me.
0: That's great. That's great. If we had more time, I'd let you talk about how wonderful your experience was working with me in, in the emergency department and, oh, yeah. and in research, but
1: that too. we
0: only, yeah, the time is, yeah, we're, we're really short on time. And I know that would probably take Another forty-five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Amy, it was so great to have you on today. Um, You've got such wonderful experience. Your views are, you know, I think, real good take-home message messages for our listeners who are interested in working in kind of uh, low-income, low-resource settings, or who want to bring, you know, educational programs to these areas. Um, Are you? uh, Do you have any social media that you uh, are on? Are you on? uh, Twitter, MySpace. Yeah. I think MySpace, maybe yeah. not the best way up to get on it. my
1: MySpace account. And now right, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're, you are on Twitter. Do you, I'm on uh, Twitter.
1: um, okay. Amy, Amy T Tang, A-I-M-E-E T-T-A-N-G. Okay.
0: Great. And we can, reach we can out. follow you there.
1: You can follow Great. me. Well, thank out. you so
0: much. Yeah. What's that?
1: It's like, follow me, reach out, say hi. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much. Um, It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. It's been a few years since we've chatted. It was great to catch up. Great to hear what you've been doing um, in the last couple of years, and hopefully we'll get to uh, chat again. So thanks again, everybody, and make sure to uh, visit the World Extreme Medicine website for this and other podcasts, um, and also our live programming, as well as the World Extreme Medicine Fellowship. Thanks to all of our listeners and we'll see you next time.